I'm Jake Miller from the Educational Duct Tape Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect those of others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Rick Snyder. That's right, he's back. He's the author of Decisive Intuition, the co-founder of StraightTalk.Live podcast, and the CEO of Invisible Edge, an international consulting firm that develops intuitive intelligence for leaders and teams. Today we're focused on his podcast, Straight Talk Live. Lots to learn today. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Rick Snyder is the author of Decisive Intuition, the co-founder of Straight Talk Live podcast and the CEO of Invisible Edge, an international consulting firm that develops intuitive intelligence for leaders and teams for more effective decision-making, leadership, sales, and innovation. He leads an executive coaching team that serves clients from a wide range of sectors, from Fortune 500 to Silicon Valley startups. He speaks to businesses and organizations regularly and has been featured in Forbes, The Economist Incorporated, CNBC, and Fast Company, as well as business talk shows. Beyond consulting, he has started four businesses and combines that experience with 20 years of studying human behavior to coach leaders and teams to develop and implement intuitive skills to innovate and advance their business plans and company culture. Rick believes in the spirit of human innovation and potential and enjoys empowering leaders to rise beyond their limits. Invisible Edge is based in San Diego and has offices in London and Boulder, Colorado. Rick, awesome to have you back on the show again. Say hi to everyone. Hello, everyone. Good to be back here. I think this is my third time on your show. Most definitely. And it's great to have you back on. And uh, we've, uh, you, you got some really cool, you always have something neat going on. And I, and, uh, and one of the things that uh, we're going to get to today is you have this cool new podcast, uh, this podcast that you've been doing and, uh, and a live show that's really cool. And uh, we're going to get there in just a minute. But uh, before we do that, let's start a little bit about, by talking about your company, Invisible Edge. What's its purpose? Yeah. So what we, you know, the problem we're trying to solve is, how do you actually make more effective decisions when there's so much noise and pressure and stress going on around you? And so how do you learn how to tune into that inner wisdom and guidance that we all have, which can so easily be uh, out, drowned out by all the signals around us, or we outsource our intelligence to other people around us also, the louder voices in the room, the data on the spreadsheet, all the ways that we disempower ourselves from really coming from our deeper intuitive knowing. And so that's where a lot of this work came from is my book and the research I did around how does intuition work? What happens when we don't trust our gut? And most importantly, how do we use the data and the science and the numbers that we have with our inner sense, with our inner knowing and combine both to make better decisions? So we're working with a lot of teams, companies, uh, leaders to help them get more connected to that intuitive intelligence so that they can make faster decisions, more, more accurate and effective decisions um, it helps you with leadership. It helps you with sales. Um, it helps you with managing other people, dealing with your customer, anticipating customer challenges. So you, there's so many ways you can use it to innovate and to create new things. There's so many great um, benefits to tapping into your intuitive senses. 
That's awesome, man. You know, and it, and it really fits well within, uh, you know, the, you talk about the different roles that educators have. So everybody from the, the district um, supervisors and the superintendents and the, the building leaders and the teachers in the classroom, they're, they're all connecting with different people and such. And there's all kinds of that intuition has to pop in uh, <laughs> all over the place as they make connections and uh, hopefully do it uh, in a manner in which it's helpful to them. So I love that. Uh, you know, and, you know, you've mentioned it. Let's, let's, let's shift into um, talking a little bit about your book, Decisive Intuition. You know, who should read it and, and give them a little synopsis about what's going on in there? Yeah, I would say if you're curious about tapping into a deeper set source of information and how to basically be able to read out the room more accurately, wherever your environment is, and to anticipate what wants to happen next. Those are the two gifts of intuition. So for example, if I'm an educator in a classroom and how do I read out what's happening with my kids in real time? And so that I'm on top of those emotional uh, waves that are happening. Maybe they're getting cranky before lunch. Maybe they're getting cranky before they go. Uh, it's an hour before they're let out. Um, or there's some other things going on that I need to pay attention to in the classroom. And so intuition is only going to help me stay more connected and more related to what's actually happening or what's not being talked about, but I'm still sensing something's going on in the space. And then secondly, it helps me anticipate where do I need to redirect the energy? What's, hap what's happening next that's going to actually serve the moment? So this is true whether you're working with, you're in a team, in a company, and you're trying to read what's happening in the team conversation, or a bunch of superintendents getting together, or the PTA meeting, or in a classroom. And so that's the beauty of uh, what this book is about, is it actually helps you in six steps connect with that deeper intelligence so you can really grow that faculty and use that as a tool in your professional and also in your personal life too. I love that. It's, it's, it, and I've read the book and it's awesome. And it's, uh, well, um, it just, it's just so informative and in helping you deal with the different uh, interactions that you have and such and, and thinking about what you're experiencing. And I love it. And if I could say one more thing about that to kind of break this down and maybe in a physics way, we're basically all radio antennas giving off signals human beings, that is. And yes. so when you have like little Johnny in the classroom, he's giving off a certain signal. And then you have Lucy over here giving off a certain signal, right? And so the more you can interpret those signals and the better you get at communicating your own and receiving and communicating, that kind of emotional intelligence is going to help deepen relationships, deepen connection, deepen your personal intimacies in your life and your friendships and socially, as well as professionally and build better trust and better rapport. And so who wouldn't benefit from that, right? Whether you're working with kids, teenagers, adults, um, doesn't matter. It's gonna make you a more responsive adult and that's gonna be able to communicate on a deeper level with people. And I love that because we need, you know, we need assistance in understanding <laughs> and recognizing. And, and you know, it, it, it's not just, uh, I mean, for anybody. I mean, we, you know, recognizing those signals that are happening, I like your analogy there of being an antenna because we are, we giving off those antennas and we giving off those signals. And when you're inside a classroom or inside a building or dealing with in a meeting, whatever it is that you're doing and you're not reading those signals, right. <laughs> it, it could be trouble coming. So. And that's often what happens, right. Is it, even in personal relationships, 
people are giving off a signal for five years and the other partner's not listening and, yes. and not wanting to look at that. And that's where all these underground tensions and misunderstandings happen and occur from is we don't address those right away in real time or near time. So once again, intuition lives in present moment in real time. And so as soon as I'm noticing something feels a bit off or something's really important that we need to pay attention to, do I have the courage to start those conversations? That's awesome. That's awesome. Cause it, it you know, when it, and I just think about if we, any sorts of interactions that we have, if you're just not paying attention to any of it, <laughs> the, the, the trouble that's coming is, 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 or likely to come is going to, uh, um, you know, you know, the, in the case of a, of an administrator or a, and a teacher in a building, one of the things that happens is it's probably going to, uh, um, be something that you're going to be dealing with for a while. <laughs> if only you'd read the signals, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. So great stuff. So it, so now Rick, you have a podcast. It's called straight live. It's straight talk live. Love the format. Where'd the idea come from? So speaking of intuition, um, me and my friend Af, who's in London, um, we've known each other for a while and worked together in some different capacities. When COVID hit in early March, Right away, we were both talking about how unsatisfied we were and how unprepared for the conversations that are happening right now around the world, where no one is prepared for a calamity like this. And people were freaking out, of course, reasonably, but there wasn't really any conversation around, well, what should we be talking about? How do we need to prepare? How do we need to adapt in terms of education, uh, the unemployment crisis, uh, AI and robotics and digital technology and how that's quickly that's changing? What does COVID mean in terms of lead leadership and remote working and all the different ways that we're impacted through human transformation, digital transformation, and social impact? And so that's really where this came alive is, wait a minute, why don't we start hosting the conversations and inspiring the conversations that we want to have? Because uh, TV and radio and all those things are not really satisfying when you get your two-minute clips on politics or the latest COVID report but not the deeper conversations about, well, what do we do with this? How should, what are the dialogues we need to be having as our world seems to polarize more and more? No one's bringing those polarities together to have a conversation. So we're bringing guest experts in different domains, all the way from AI and robotics to education and the future of where things are moving that way um, to uh, leading in chaos from a Navy SEAL commander because he knows about leading in chaos. Uh, so those are some of the guests that we've been having, uh, scholars, historians, uh, CEOs, business leaders, um, to really look at how do we get a maverick leadership mentality? Like the way we see it is we're all leaders. Everyone listening to the show right now is a leader. You might be leading in your family. You might be leading in your classroom. You might be leading in your personal life, in your community, uh, politically, whatever. There's many ways we might be leading. And so how can you really help hold and start these conversations so that we can make sure uh, we're moving in the direction that's going to be of the greatest good of all? Well, you have some amazing conversations and I got to tell you, one of the things that's really cool is that uh, you, you do this live when it first starts, right? You're not, this is not, uh, you know, it's not pre-recorded. It's uh, you're all coming together live and then, you know, people can follow up and listen to past ones. But uh, can you talk a little bit about that, that doing that live? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So it's straighttalk.live is the name of the URL. If people want to check it out. 
And we go live every Thursday at 9 Pacific, 12 Eastern. And I think the first couple episodes, I was pretty nervous. Like, well, okay, we're going live. <laughs> um, man, how's this going to go? My heart's beating and feeling like the whole world's watching, which of course is not the case. Uh, but regardless, after just like anything, after a few of those episodes, you start getting used to being live and it's no longer a thing. Although I will say the first, you know, there's like a countdown and 20 seconds of silence while our, uh, someone on our team helps get us live on the broadcasts uh, on, you know, YouTube and Facebook and all those things. So there's, in that silence, there's usually a few minutes or a few seconds of like, okay, we've got a new show coming up. Here we go. But there's something about letting go into the live atmosphere where I'm not trying to manipulate or control anything and just really go with the flow and listen for the questions that want to be asked. And so there's a way where live being live forces that to happen because you literally can't prepare for the next moment. That's what's so cool. It's like, I, I, you know, and even though it's audio, you know, hopefully my listeners can hear there's a smile on my face because I, I, all I could think about is, uh, yes, that moment when, yes, we are live now. So uh, mm -hmm. um, no time for uh, <laughs> too much foolishness that <laughs> might happen here. So uh, um, that's, that's awesome. So, and by the way, with this, now, you know, you, it's not just you and one guest. You have a co-host and normally uh, at least maybe two other people. So how do you coordinate that, <laughs> especially go live? Yeah, and I think we've made, we've made a rule in some ways because it's an hour show to not have more than two guests because we do want to have everyone contribute and have enough airtime to share their perspective. I'm sure we could get away with three or so, <laughs> but we've just found that having one or maybe two guests is, seem, is a good sweet spot for us. But it is interesting having a co-host and a co good synergy with your co-host. And so what's great about how we work together is it's not territorial. We're not competitive. Um, there's a way where there's easy handoffs between, hey, I got a question, and we just kind of jump in. And there's a way we complement each other. Um, I'd love to hear your take on it. That's my sense. Um, but I think you have to have the right partnership, just like in a business, that right partnership really makes the flow. Oh, and I think it works out really well. I, I've not heard I've, – I've not – yeah, I've heard, I've listened to a bunch of your shows and I've not heard one where it sounds like someone's about to reach out and smack somebody. Give me my time, man. You know, like, yeah. And then when you have a co-host with a British voice, they just sound smarter. <laughs> nice. So that just ups the whole ante of the show. It's like, oh, okay, I'm yeah, going to pay a, attention to this one. Uh, as, as a note, yes, it, 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 it does. I've been tr practicing my English. I did, you know, it's, it, it does like, what, what an English accent. Oh, hey. <laughs> that's, right. oh that's a smart question. Nice. <laughs> I like that. The, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool because, you know, it, it all comes together. And I got to tell you, it really, really gets, gets me thinking because some of the topics, uh, you know, I just uh, um, often I'm, I'm listening to the recorded version of it as opposed to live. But, uh, um, you know, there's, there's part of me that wants to raise my hand and say, <laughs> call, call me, call me. I, mm. Really? Can I, can I? So you do have the ability for people to during the live show, don't you, to ask questions? Okay. So yeah, if you're interested in being part of the program, you can tune in live. Uh, so if you happen to be on our Facebook page or YouTube page, you can type in your questions there during the broadcast. Or if you want to be on our registration link through Zoom, you can do that through our uh, URL at straighttalk.live. And so that way you can be part of the show because we try to leave the last 15 minutes for audience questions. Very cool. Very cool. The uh, 
you know, what I'd like to do right now is I, I'd like to uh, have us have a, a general conversation. And so even though this is not going to be an hour conversation around each of these topics like you would do, um, several of these, I kind of picked a little bit of it from a couple of your um, shows or conversations that were had. Um, although the first one I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to start off with maybe not so much, but um, what I'd like to do is let's start with one of these conversation topics and just kind of see where it goes with us just talking about it. Um, what, you know, in this pandemic that we got right now, what lasting impact do you think the pandemic will have? And th this is, this really kind of drives me nuts. This, this thing right here um, on what lasting impact do you think it's going to have on movie theaters and the movie entertainment industry? I mean, I think it's a huge impact right now. I think it's going to be for a while too. I almost, I mean, the way I see it is, this there's there's no way there's two viruses there's the actual covid virus there's also the fear virus and so there's the ways that we relate to covid um and i'm not a i'm not a covid paranoid person and i'm also not a covid denier i feel like i'm somewhere in the middle right um but i think there's a way where we're going to be a there's a way there's like a collective trauma around this whole thing where i think it's going to be a while before people really feel comfortable in larger gatherings and even if there's a vaccine that happens, I still think collectively there's going to be a, you know, a, a reluctance to be in big groups like we, like we did in the past. So I think the entertainment industry in general is really going to hurt. Although, of course, with technology, um, that's going to be the saving grace of so many industries. Like, for example, we're seeing certain um, movie theater companies, or I should say production companies that are releasing in a theater, but then going live right away on video. Uh, that has never happened before. Right. And so that's starting to happen as a workaround. Uh, and then people just skipping the theater experience. Um, so that's unfortunate, of course, for the really good um, cinematic displays and the sound and all those things. I think it's going to still be a while. Um, I know in San Diego, we had theaters reopen in between waves, and now they're closed again in, oh, wow. in this moment. So I think it's going to be a while before... And I imagine, you know, hundreds of millions and billions of dollars are being impacted in the industry for sure. Most definitely. I mean, and it's something that it's, uh, for the most part, theaters in, uh, in my state are, uh, um, you know, in, in Georgia, where for the most part, they're open, but many of the smaller ones struggling very much because they, they open and, uh, you know, they had some of the movies to, to release that were new that hadn't been seen. And then, you know, and then they were showing for a lesser price, which, it! I miss seeing Jurassic Park again in the movie theater because there's nothing like seeing that movie in the movie theater. The dinosaur is a little bigger than life. And, and, that's, and that's part of what, you know, my problem is with this is that, you know, when you do have that, um, that giant, um, th that movie that they spent so much money on to really make things come to life. And, and uh, you know, I can't imagine seeing... Um, James Bond on the little screen the first time because I don't have a home theater. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's not as satisfying on my little iPhone, right? Right, exactly. It's like uh, I'm not so sure that's the, that's how it was meant to be seen, you know. And I and right. I know they're struggling with that, and and uh, and that's what it's yeah. Because I th I think you're right. That whole idea about our behaviors that are um, have, have kind of changing right now, depending on which group you're in, and. Um, the, the ones who are not too sure they really want to sit in an auditorium with others. Yeah. And, and this leads to a bigger point that you're making also around like my, my heart goes out to small business right now, small business in general, whether it's the, the, the mom, pa movie theater 
It could be the restaurants in your neighborhood, um, the general stores. Um, those guys are getting killed right now. And so that's also where my attention is going is with the continual lockdowns and what have you. How do you balance public safety, which is important, and being smart about that, and the livelihood and economic you know, um, solvency of these companies? Um, how do you find the balance? This, no one's got the answer. We don't have a playbook for this, so we're all trying to find our way. And every governor and every state's doing it a bit differently, and every country in the world's doing it a bit differently. So we're all trying to figure this out here on the fly. Very much so. And, and you're so right about the small business that this is – you know, the idea that they only have a few people that work for them. And uh, if they stay closed too long, then they may not be able to reopen. And and then when they do reopen, if they bring people, you know, to work with them and, uh, you know, how, are those people going to be able to stay with them for a while? Or is it, uh, you know, how's that going to work out? And I, and I think, you know, it's just, it's, it, it is a fascinating thing. And I, you see this in the, um, in this entertainment industry a lot, whether it's the the restaurants, like you said, and I mean, if you think about everything that goes right along with, you know, having a date and going to a movie and uh, just how it's impacted. And then you think about the winners in these moments, right? Like the, uh, the, the Netflix <laughs> where like there was a moment where Netflix was starting to really look nervously across the aisle at the Disney's and some of the other companies that were starting to produce their own content and have their own channels to compete with Netflix. And then now the movie theater industry goes down. Netflix is looking pretty good because everyone's doubling down on their subscriptions and wanting to be entertained at home during this time. And so it's amazing how some companies come out even better, right? And a lot of other ones can suffer. And it's so interesting how people choose to relate, respond, and innovate to these moments. You're so right. It's just, it is interesting because there are those, those <laughs> winners, like you said. It's a strange is a strange world. I mean, it's, uh, it's very strange. So let's leave that topic and let's, let's shift to, uh, to something a little bit different. How about the corporate world as a whole? Do you see some major shifts in the way business is handled, you know, you know, staying or lasting something that seems to, I mean, kind of like what you do with the movie thing, there's some good and some bad out of this. Um, do you, do you see something, uh, in, in the corporate world that uh, probably is going to end up being a lasting, probably for good change or what do you think? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of change happen right now. Um, one of the biggest ones is working remotely, working from home. And a lot of people are saying they're probably not going to go back to the office. Um, not everybody, but there's going to be some companies where there's going to be more flexibility. There's going to be more choice. Where in the past it was, no, you come to the office nine to five. Um, now there's going to be more opportunity for a more flexible schedule and potentially a different work-life balance where you might be able to do a couple hours of childcare in the morning if you make up those hours in the evening or figure something out. And so as long as you're getting the work done, we're seeing a lot more management have more understanding and flexibility and they're not managing the task as much as managing the outcome. So as long as you get that work done by Friday, I don't care when you do it. Where in the past it was, what are you doing at 9 a.m.? What are you doing at 9.30? <laughs> and so there's a little, I mean, the managers, I should say that are more successful right now are the ones that are not micromanaging and having a little more trust that their employees are aligned and on the same page of getting things done. And of course you have to set those expectations and what have you and hold them accountable, but there's a way where you can do that and not micromanage. So I think that working from home is going to have a lasting impact. 
um, and how that gets balanced. I think certain technologies like remote technologies of audio visual is going to continue to increase and people are getting more comfortable with technology. Um, I think you heard my podcast on the future of education with uh, Jojo and Tanya. Yes. Jojo was responsible for in, in the New York school district. I think in within a week, he had to move 2 million students remote wow. in, one, in one week. One week. It's literally the largest school district in, in the country. <laughs> and so he had to move 2 million students remote and figure that out um, in a week. And, and all the technology required and getting the teachers trained up on technology because not all of them are comfortable with technology. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a huge range like any, any industry. And so that's been the big movement now. And it's, it's starting to happen where people are getting more comfortable on Zoom on different technologies and different platforms. So I think that's gonna continue as we integrate technology with um, communication and the different um, sectors that we are involved in. I think that's cool, I, and I, I agree with you. This is a, you know, it's an interesting aspect of this is that let, let's just pick on Zoom for a minute. Um, you know, there for a little bit, you know, you were pretty up there in, you know, in the current times and, uh, you know, a little ahead of everybody else, if you knew how to have a, uh, you know, to, to orchestrate a uh, online video meeting, you know, and, uh, um, and there were some other companies that existed out there and, you know, many people had, you know, used to using or whatever, but if you could orchestrate it all and do stuff like that, you know, Ooh, you know, the little <laughs> aura appears around you type thing. And now, What's, and then there were those people who would say, how do I do this again? You, you're going to send me a link and I click on it. Really? Is that, that's all I need to do? Oh, well, you know, and you know, one of the things we've discovered in all this is that uh, how many people have computers that don't have built-in cameras or something? <laughs> oh, yeah, nice. Okay. But it, it is cool though, how it, that technology alone, the number of people who become way more familiar with it that did not have that ability before Here's a, cool, here's a cool one that I just discovered. There's a, there's a platform called Discord, and it basically mimics a business environment where you have all these different rooms, like just like you're in an office space, and there's like a coffee break room. And so you can just, if you want to meet other employees and just have a little break and talk with them in that special room, you can do video chat with them and whoever's in that coffee break room. Or you can go to conference room one, two, or three, and there might be different meetings that other, corp or other business leaders are having. And you might be invited to one of those or not. And there's a reception room. And this is all virtual, right? That's cool. But it's so neat because they're trying to mimic a, a business lifestyle. And you can see where your whole team is, is um, hovering around and where they're in certain meetings. And if you want to drop in and talk to one of them, um, depending on your, your privacy and access levels. Um, but it's pretty cool how we're trying to get creative in these ways. <laughs> it is awesome. That's, I think that's one of the, the positives out of all this is that uh, people are getting very creative with that and uh, um, figuring out how to make it feel something that's a little bit normal and mm -hmm. <laughs> to have a coffee break room. I like that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> now they just had to create smell-o-vision so that then it would smell like the coffee, right? <laughs> oh, I bet that's coming through your computer. They'll be these, emitting these odors, right? Right, exactly. That that could be bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, you know, so, so let's, let's shift to another topic. Let's talk about, uh, how about artificial intelligence? You know, and where I'm going with this, and you had this really cool episode where you dealt with robots and artificial intelligence and stuff like this. And, you know, it's funny because uh, not too, well, actually it was a long time ago, but in the, in the late 50s, 60s, um, in this 
in this country and actually in the world, there was a big scare about computers going to take over the world and take people's jobs away from them. And, and there was all kinds of shows about where, uh, you know, the computer actually is telling the people what to do. And uh, my favorite all time favorite one would be Hal in 2001 um, deciding that he no longer needs the astronaut. <laughs> so, um, it, you know, what, what do you think? I mean, are, is it here or are we just impressed by like simpler, simple parlor tricks? And I, and I like to, uh, you know, I don't know if, if you ever read any Douglas Adams from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but <laughs> he has in the opening chapter of, of the Hitchhiker's Guide, uh, this thing where, you know, the idea that earth is a place where people are still um, impressed by digital watches. And, <laughs> um, and, you know, it is, it, is what we're doing with AI right now just a fancy digital watch or what? What do you think? No. <laughs> I think it's well beyond the digital watch. Yeah, my sense is that AI is here to stay and it's going to continue to be more complex and a part of our lives. And so the key is how do we adapt with it? How do we try to shape with it? Um, I don't think it's going anywhere and it's going to continue to be more integrated. Um, we're already using AI all the time. Every time we have a search engine, every time, um, you know, we get information from our phones and, or we're looking for, it's already trying to match preferences for us on any of these websites or shopping or whatever it might be. It starts to get a sense of our profile or vacation homes or real estate. There's ways it, it kind of learns your choices or music choices on iTunes or Spotify. Um, so we're already using AI on a basic level What's going to get really interesting is where we start to see AI have a little more decision-making abilities. That's where it could get really interesting. Yes, that's scary. <laughs> that's very so scary. One of my favorite episodes on our show, I think it was the fifth one, we had this amazing AI architect who's been in the industry for 35 years. So he's been working on AI for 35 years. Wow. Uh, Nicholas Carinos, who's in Cyprus. And, he, and one of the comments that's come to me and that I made to him is, seems like we got two choices here. Either it's going to be like um, uh, in the Terminator movie Skynet, okay. right? Yes. Where it's like the robots are in charge, like you said, and we, we don't have a chance. Or it's going to be Star Trek, where together we can explore the universe and go even further out. Nice. Because we know how to leverage each other's best talents and skills. And I think, I mean, that's the one I'm rooting for, the Star yes, Trek. Yes, definitely, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Skynet doesn't end well, folks. If you've seen the Terminator, it does no. not end well. Um, so I think that's really the way I look at it is I think it's kind of futile to say like no more AI because consciousness evolves and, you know, there's a way where, you know, technology evolves and we're not going to go backward. The only other answer is let's go, let's go back to the caveman days or kill all, you know, electronic communication. Like that's not going to happen. So instead, how do we really try to get ahead of it and where it's most interesting is build in the ethics. How do we start having those conversations around ethically, if we're using AI, who actually gets to take advantage, who's, who benefits from that, who gets exploited by that? And how do we start having those important conversations now? Because certain AI programs are going to be biased based on our human biases. I mean, if it's getting all its data from the internet, good Lord, right. we're in trouble. Right. <laughs> right. So right. that's the pool of data it's deciding from. And so, you know, a data is only good as, as the, its, its source. And so we have to be really smart about, I think, how we, um, the source of where we're getting our information from, how it's being used, and then looking at the playouts of that. And I think 
that's what I care about is the people, the people who bring the humanity to AI, where it's not just the hardcore engineers who are trying to make it more powerful, but how do, how do those possibilities impact other, everyone else? And let's really think that through before we unleash these different technologies. I love this conversation. This is, uh, you know, cause that's, it, cause that's a huge aspect of it is how to, you know, who's making these decisions about unleashing it. You know, one of my, it, you haven't heard, we haven't heard much about it recently because of other things going on, but um, not too long ago, uh, you know, Amazon was looking at uh, opening these, these, moneyless stores where you walk in with your phone and it recognizes you. So it lets you in because you have, I guess, money on your phone <laughs> you've established the account and all that sort of stuff. And it knows that you can, you can enter the store and then it would start, you know, reminding you of things you purchased last time and things like that. And, and uh, that, <laughs> that just, it, although it's pretty cool, the idea to, where you would not have to have a cashier or a, you know, you could walk in, buy what you need to, and it, it automatically subtracts it as you walk out the door. It's going to take it off your account. Um, you know, it's, you go from something like that to um, um, how that same information, you know, might be used just totally in a flawed way, um, even though the store thing scares me because I could just hear there being like a, um, an announcement says, Hey, Steve's here today. Glad Steve's back. Did you know last time Steve bought the following things, you know, <laughs> shut up, go away. You know? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's, and that's always the risk is privacy. Then, you know, the more that we have access to everyone's data, uh, the more our privacy is at risk. And so that's a real concern with technology and a real concern with AI. Um, cause you never know when something can be hacked. Right. Yes. I mean, an example is, let's say there's a bunch of autonomous driving vehicles and someone hacks into the main central program and gets them all to crash in one second. Bad. Yes. Bad. Right. <laughs> right. And so that's, I mean, that's where, you know, as everything becomes more digital, which seems inevitable that that's happening, the world is becoming more digital. So then how do we once again have the ethics in place? How do we look at the, the rail guards of some of those technologies so that we're thinking through the potential dangers, the hackability, um, all those kinds of things. And I, and I love that discussion, by the way, centering around the, the trucks and the trucking industry and such, because to me, that seems a much more viable area as opposed to the individual car <laughs> um, because of so many different variables there. But uh, um, just in, a, in and of itself, like you said, if you were to like, you know, like in and around uh, Times Square or whatever, you walled it all off. So the only vehicles that could be used in there are the AI vehicles that then, uh, you know, so no one could actually crash one of them unless they took over the system, which um, would be uh, um, kind of an interesting thing. So it, it, this, is a, this is a fascinating topic. I know when, when I listened to your show on it, um, it was amazing listening to the experts talk about this. And uh, I appreciate your giving your insights because this is uh, something that I think we're all, uh, you know, I, just all a little fascinated about whether, where's this going and uh, mm -hmm. what might be that next step? Because, you know, we've all seen those versions, those modern versions of the, get the good robot and you got the bad robot. <laughs> yeah. And if, if anyone is out there, if you, if you uh, read or watch Yuval Noah Harari, who wrote the book Sapiens, um, he has some very interesting uh, presentations and conversations around AI and where it's going and some of the potential concerns and one of his points is what happens when uh, the robots know more about you than you do? 
Nice. When they know more about your, even your biometric data and how you respond to commercials and how you respond to different uh, stimulants uh, in life. And so um, that's an interesting conversation when they might have more data of your preferences and know more about that than you do consciously. And so that's where it gets a little interesting because if you get manipulated by advertisements and marketing and they know how to push the right buttons for you and they get better at that, um, that's where you know it really behooves us to get more educated and to look at how do we make sure that we are aware of the choices we're making and the freedom that we have, right? That's powerful. I mean, and you know, that, that would explain why suddenly you have a closet full of Ginsu knives that you don't understand why you keep ordering. <laughs> it's like another, you got your spouse is like another pair, really? Right, exactly. really need another set? Oh, this is a great sale. It's a great sale, yes. Oh, nice. That stupid robot. It's made me order these things again. Right. <laughs> nice. I noticed that you like those knives. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, well, Rick, let's, let's shift gears again and let's, let's, let's kind of flow, not kind of, let's flow into education. You know, uh, many people are thinking that the pandemic is a perfect time to do away with practices of the past and usher in real change. Any thoughts about this? Yeah, this has been a, a key central theme in some of our shows. We've tackled higher education and, you know, K through 12. Um, and so it's been interesting to hear some of the thought leaders in the space on what's changing already. And so it really is, this is one of the cool things I think about COVID. It's having us re-explore and reimagine many different sectors of our life. One of them being education and having us relook at even things like how we use technology in the classroom, how teachers need to, uh, in a way, be more integrated with technology in the classroom than ever before. How do we still not lose a beat if we have to go remote next week and keep everything uh, continuous? Um, And even looking at things like standardized testing and um, how does that actually reflect the value of what kids are learning? Or is it just for, um, you know, state funding and donations and this and that? And how teacher salaries are sometimes tied to standardized scores. Um, And so, so many interesting conversations I know are being formed in the education space and re-looking at really coming back down to what is the most important way of teaching? How do we want to make an impact with the next generation? And how can we, you know, have them get a step ahead from where we were at their age? Um, Where it's not just about memorizing and regurgitating information anymore. That's not really going to prepare them for the real world. How do we make space for critical thinking? How do we make space for emotional intelligence? Now that we even have that phrase where, you know, 20, 30 years ago, we didn't even have that phrase in our, right. you know, diction, right. in our vernacular. And so these kind of things are so important as we're recognizing the whole human being, how to deal with stress, how to deal with overwhelm. If we can learn that when we're five years old, when we're 10 years old, how does that prepare us as an adult? So I think these are some of the interesting conversations I'm hearing from some educators. And I think one of the benefits that a lot of educators are tapping into is forming their own communities, their own circles where they can learn from each other, whether they're in public, private sector, it doesn't matter. How can they form their own groups to learn best practices, to support each other, um, dealing with some of the challenges of education today and some of the budget cuts, salary cuts, all these kind of things. I got to tell you, one of the things that's been really interesting is that it's uh, the, the virtual world has allowed the breaking down of barriers between getting connected with people in different areas. So like if you, your teacher, I've seen several teachers who've done, who are doing this and uh, where 
because of a connection with somebody, the next thing they know is they have the CEO of Invisible Edge on their, you know, <laughs> in their classroom talking with, uh, uh, with their class about, uh, you know, uh, intuition and such. And, you know, it's, 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 it's amazing, our leadership skills. And, it's, and I've seen, you know, there have been teachers who have got all kinds of interesting things happen. And, and one, you know, it's, uh, or they have the engineer talking about working on the Mars rovers. You know, it's, um, so in, in many cases, that's happened as well as, reminding people that we have this huge world. I mean, you and I right now, we're talking across the United States. And uh, I mean, when you have your, your show, you guys, you got somebody at least who's in England and if, <laughs> along with in the United States and wherever else they are. And I've had shows recently where I'm talking to people in Australia and England and, you know, France and different places. So, you know, it's, I, I think one of the things that's, that's really come out of this is being able to show um, the creative mind that, uh, you know, in that classroom that they can, suddenly connect their class to the world in a much different way because they're all in this virtual thing going on. So, so that's been a kind of a cool aspect of it. Yeah. And then, you know, with higher education, it also brings up some controversial topics like, should I be paying the same amount of money if I'm not on campus? <laughs> it's a really interesting conversation. Like, am I getting the same quality education, the same value of being remote if I'm not in person, especially trying to do labs and things like that, that are very tangible and tactical. Um, how do I do that? Is it the same value? Um, should the tuition change um, when it's remote versus in person? And that's, you know, of course the universities will say, yes, it is the same Harvard education or whatever it might be, um, whatever branded education it is. And yet it's a fair question to look at, you know, how does that shift? How's that gonna shift over the next couple of years? That's, that's an incredible topic right there because that I know myself, I like, if I'm in class, I like to be in class where you can have the discussions and you're getting uh, the access to uh, somebody and their thoughts about what you're talking about or whatever. And it's, it's a little more personal. Um, Cause I, yeah, I understand. I, I, I would have a rough time with uh, having uh, all my professors be on the other end of a zoom call, not in person and still them thinking I should pay this large sum of money. And when I talk to some university students now, I hear uh, multiple uh, responses around some teacher, it always comes back to the teacher also. Some teachers are kind of continuing the same old school way of teaching where they just lecture remotely and then you're just kind of sitting there listening. <laughs> and of course people are gonna tune out and it's gonna be even more difficult to keep people remotely versus how do you stay engaged as a teacher with your remote audience? How do you call on people? How can you have breakout rooms where there's discussion topics? How do you get them, keep them engaged? And so I think it's going to come back to the art of teaching and the science of teaching that's going to make the difference. That's, that is incredible thinking about that because I think you're right. Once again, it comes back to the teacher and preparation and doing what needs to be done to engage the kids and make them excited about being in that class. And, and I said, kids, it could be any age. So um, awesome. Yeah. One of the things that uh, is happening right now is there's some major factors that are kind of uh, challenging educators in working with kids. And I was wondering if we could kind of chit chat around that just a bit, you know, because, you know, there are schools across the United States that have returned face to face. Some of them are doing face to face and virtual, some of them doing just virtual. And then, and then there's some that haven't returned. So, I mean, what do you think some of these challenges are for those classroom teachers? Do you mean for the ones that are inviting kids back or yes. the ones that are still working remotely? Let's, let's talk about the ones that are inviting them back. Yeah, I think it's, 
I think one of the tricky things about children in that age of development, and I used to study psychology, so I have some background in child development and what have you, um, you know, kids really become used to their routines and they need, they need a certain kind of consistency. Now, kids are also pretty adaptable, more, even more than adults in many ways. So I don't think it takes a while to get used to a new rhythm. But I think it's important for teachers to remember that, that if they've been out for a couple months and they're now just coming back, to remember they're going to be probably pretty disrupted from all that's going on because kids are like emotional sponges where they're really taking in all the energies, emotions, concerns, stresses that their parents are feeling, that the environment's feeling. And we've never had a generation that's had to you know, go through this kind of ordeal at that age that we know of. Maybe the Great Depression was like that back in the 20s or some kind of world war experience. But in our lifetime, we haven't had too much of that on our soil, if you will. Right. And so imagine how can teachers have that compassion and that understanding that kids are probably going to be more disrupted. And so how do you help them self-regulate? How do you help them take a few breaths, uh, get grounded, come back to themselves, how do you even just teaching them how to take a couple of deep breaths is really important to regulate their nervous system. And we have a couple of guests on our shows that have talked about that. Lisa Dion, who's a neurobiologist, talks a lot about regulating yourself. She's an incredible lecturer, uh, as well as um, Mark Devine, who's a former Navy SEAL commander. He teaches what's called box breathing to his troops when they're out in the field in chaotic situations to regulate yourself and to come back to calm, cool, and collected in a matter of seconds just through deep breathing cycles. And so I think if you can have that with your kids and help them even starting a class, you know, just take, let's all sit down and just take a few deep breaths, close your eyes, and then you can guide them and facilitate them through a simple exercise for a couple minutes and really get them to resettle and recalibrate. I think little tools like that are going to become more important in, in teachers learning how to deal with intense emotional states, uh, stresses, overwhelms, um, the more that teachers are comfortable with themselves in those, in those moments and teachers can know how to regulate themselves, they're going to be able to leverage that for the classroom as well. And so I think having some awareness of that as well as, once again, kids are adaptive, so you get them in a new routine that's going to bring some sort of um, consistency to their lives is going to be super helpful also. That's powerful what you're talking about there because just in a you – know, something that you, you talked about earlier – um, about the, there being kind of different groups of people in their thoughts about being in the environments. Well, as a kid in a school, you know, you could be doing just fine. And then suddenly you run into your friend who has got a different approach to being in school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the next thing you know is you're kind of panicking or you're mm-hmm. suddenly Steve's got a different, not doing as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and so the teacher needing to kind of come back to some, um, we've talked about before as well is the being able to be aware of those changes and, you know, what to do to help and assist because mm-hmm. you know, it's that face to face and uh, kind of dealing with those different issues because some, some kids are going to be, you know, the world, the world is coming to an end and some, some are going to be, yeah, what are you talking about? And then you're going to have everything in between. Right. Yeah. Cause kids will also adopt their parents' viewpoints at that age uh, and what they hear with other impressionable mentors in their life. Um, so you're right. It's going to be across the board that way. It's fascinating. You know, this is, uh, this is you know, a lot of learning going on right now about how to deal with uh, just this whole world that we're in. And uh, so it's just a different, different 
you know, just a strange world and uh, just so many different things that we can learn a lot from and hopefully, uh, you know, take out of it as we come, you know, hopefully this comes to an end sooner than later. And, uh, and we're talking about the lessons we've learned and, you know, when, when weren't we so funny in the beginning and now, now look where we've come to, but, you know, um, Rick, uh, as we're getting ready to close, and first of all, I can't, I can't tell you enough. This has been awesome because I appreciate you having this, these just kind of discussions with me about these topics here. Yeah. As we're getting ready to close, please tell everyone where they can find your podcast, Straight Talk um, live and connect with you and, and learn more about Invisible Edge and your book, Decisive Intuition. Yeah. So if you're curious about these kind of conversations uh, that we're talking about today, uh, the best way is to go to straighttalk.live. And that's the, that's the uh, website. And from there, you can register for future shows, get on our mailing list that way, um, as well as uh, look at replays of past shows. It's all free. Uh, it's a nonprofit. So take advantage of that and, and see, um, get yourself inspired and educated in whatever uh, subject matters are interesting to you. Um, and if you also have recommendations of certain guests that are leading in whatever field, we're always looking at futurists and people who are thinking of the next thing. So we like to have those kind of people on our shows. Um, and of course, Decisive Intuition, the book is out. If you want to get better at trusting your gut instinct to make better business decisions or also life decisions, um, check that out. I also have a an online video course that just got released called Superpower Your Decisions. And so that's something that's available to everyone out there. Just go to superpoweryourdecisions.com and you'll find that video course if this is something that's interesting to you and you want to learn from the comforts of your home how to tap into your intuitive decision-making abilities for in some of the ways we've been talking about today. Lastly, Invisible Edge, you go to invisible-edgellc.com and you can see the kind of work that we're doing with business leaders and teams to help them gain an advantage in leadership, management, decision-making, innovation, um, having better communication amongst their teams, uh, being able to read out what's happening in real time and anticipating the future. Uh, those are the kind of fun things that we get to do with people. Excellent. And, and, and by the way, you, you mentioned something earlier with a certain term, and I want to make sure I brought this back. Um, so you have something called a Maverick Leadership Academy or something like that? We have something, we're, uh, thanks for reminding me, we have something we're just launching on Wednesday next week uh, called the Maverick Leadership Program. And it's part of our podcast show. It's basically a community that we're building. So if you go to straight talk live forward slash MLP, you'll see the landing page for the Maverick Leaders Program. And it, once again, it's free, it's nonprofit. And, we're, and so you just sign up on our mailing list and you're going to be getting a free education and courses sent to you, to your inbox. Uh, these are video courses from our top guests and we've curated the material into four major buckets. So we have diversity and inclusion. We have the environment. We have mindset and leadership is another bucket. Uh, and lastly, we have digital transformation and innovation. So if you're interested in any of those topics, you can sign up for one of those individually, or you can get all modules. And once again, it's all free, so you can sign up for that. And it's a way to continue your education and get some of the best information and activities and practices that will help you deepen in those different sectors. Very cool. That's awesome. Very, uh, that's, that's awesome. I'm glad uh, you had, um, got a chance to explain that to us. So thank you so much for sharing. And uh, Rick, before we leave, last two questions I got for you. One goes like this. When life gets tough and you start getting so much stuff thrown at you that you may want to quit, how do you keep going? It's a great question. I think the thing is you got to take a breath and slow down. And I think that's still one of the biggest challenges for me is to not get caught up in the speed 
and the anxiety and stress around us. And yet it's so important that we make connection in time for ourselves and ground and breathe. And from there, possibilities open up and different choices open up. And I move from reactivity to actually having a response. And I think that's even that two second pause before I react to something can make the world of difference in how I respond. That's awesome advice. Thank you. Uh, last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Great question. I want to thank the one who comes to mind is Tom Alessandri, who was my high school English literature teacher. And he taught science fiction literature Ooh. was one in, in high school, which was super cool. And he just made literature come alive in the classroom. It reminded me of like Dead Poets Society, how Robin Williams makes poetry come alive in the classroom. Tom had a way of doing that. And we actually would act out some of these scenes of these different science fiction books and literally become the character. And he just had a way of making literature come alive and always tuning into the deeper philosophy that a lot of these science fiction novels were pointing to. And so it was just an amazing, everyone was, everyone in the class was on their seat from, you know, the guy, the athletes to the guys in the chess club to the guys over here. Like everyone, didn't matter who you were in the, in the high school, everyone was paying attention to Tom Alessandri's class and lectures. That's cool. That's very mm -hmm. cool. That, I would have liked to have taken that class. That's nice. <laughs> it was amazing. That's cool stuff. Well, Rick, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me today. Love the podcast, Straight Talk Live. It sets my brain on fire. I mean, this is cool. It's, you know, it's, you get, gets you thinking about all kinds of stuff. You make me think. I love it. Uh, I wish you continued success with Invisible Edge, and I encourage my listeners to check out your book, Decisive Intuition. Best wishes with all that you do, and take care. Steve, always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for these conversations, and thank you to your audience. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.